0: Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Okay, thanks so much. Hi, everybody. My name is Roja. I'm a compulsive eater. I'm glad to be here. I realized um, that I hadn't spoken in quite a while, and so... wanted to share with you. Um, My heart is pounding right now. So I don't know why I'm nervous, but you know, shit happens. So if you guys could please just take a moment with me and I'm going to do something that I've been doing in terms of breathing, just so I can have the experience with you. So if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, that's fine. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to ask you to count with me. So I'm going to inhale to the count of five. And I'm gonna exhale to the count of five. So here we go. One and two and three and four and five. Exhale, one and two and three and four and five. And one more time, inhale, one and two and three and four and five, exhale one and two and three and four and five. Thank you. So um, breath is gonna be part of my um, my share today. Um, and I wanna start out by saying that the, on the first week of the month, we talk about the step of the month. So it's August and um, it's the eighth step, which mean, which says made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So one of the things that's really not one, many of the things in program have to do with the tools. And the 12 and 12 has a really good chapter on the eighth step. And the eighth step is about, you know, making making a list and and being ready to make amends. And I want to share a couple of uh, paragraphs from that those pages that are on 60 and 61. And I think in this program, we learn that um, part of like my being nervous this morning is that we, the first thing we have to do in making amends is to acknowledge that we are not perfect and that sometimes we get nervous and sometimes we need to do the work that's necessary to forgive ourselves for our imperfections. So it says, we need to forgive ourselves for what we regret doing or not doing and for not being all we could have been. Self-forgiveness means letting go of negative feelings, such as shame and guilt. The power to extend forgiveness to others comes from self-forgiveness. To refuse to forgive is to continue to hurt ourselves. Forgiveness is not forgetting or pretending something didn't happen. We acknowledge that we were harmed, but we need to let go of the pain in order to move forward with our recovery. Forgiveness is not excusing. A wrong was in fact committed. Forgiveness is not giving permission for the hurtful behavior to continue or saying the behavior in the past was okay, nor is forgiveness necessarily reconciliation. That is a separate decision. Uh, And also, it continues on 61. If we still have bad feelings toward the person who had harmed us, we might try prayer as a powerful technique for ridding ourselves of the resentment. And I have to say, um, I want to share today that. Prayer and meditation have become such essential elements or components of my recovery. And, you know, to qualify, I've been in this program since December of 1987 when I came in in Chicago. Um, And I've been in these rooms ever since. I've never left. And one of the reasons is because I have a community of people who share a desire to stop eating compulsively. And that's the basic requirement for being in this program. Uh, and, and it says, people with long experience in living by the 12 steps have found that prayer can't bring the ability to forgive even the most devastating wrongs, which includes those wrongs we feel uh, we've done to ourselves. If we pray daily, and I would add, if we meditate daily for the people who have wronged us, asking that they be given all that we want for ourselves, we can be freed of our resentments and forgive them for the harm they have done to us. And that was something that was so profound for me that, uh, that resentment, you know, like they say, resentment is the poison we take expecting other people to die. Uh, that it is so important for me to not hold on to the anger, to the feelings of, uh, of, um, of not having enough. I mean, I think deprivation is a key part of this program as well, the feeling of deprivation. Uh, so those are things that I work on, on a daily basis. And part of being released from that bondage of self is doing the daily practices of prayer and meditation, which to me now mean um, 30 minutes to 40 minutes to 50 minutes, maybe twice a day to sit and pray first, first five minutes, Roja. Thank you to sit and be quiet and to, um, to live in the solution rather than living in the problem. Um, and I will talk about what that's currently like, but I wanted to, um, you know me, I live in color. So today I'm talking about R's. Um, you know, my name starts with an R, so that's good too. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the R's of recovery. This came to me um, last week when someone was sharing about, the idea of um, three words, and the three words which also have to do with the eighth step because you can't get through the eighth step unless you go through these. For me, these three words, and they're restoration, revelation, and revolution. So I'll explain. You know, there are there are definitions for these in the dictionaries, um, and so part of my you know what I'm doing today and telling you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now is to talk about restoration, revelation, and revolution. You know, restoration, um, just to qualify, I came into this program in 87, right? So I was born in 51. Um, Just to qualify, you know, I'm going on 70. I came in when I was 37, which seems remarkable. Uh, And I had had a lot of trauma in my life. Uh, I lost... My brother in a drowning. My parent, my mother, had brain cancer three years later. In 1965, I developed type one diabetes. Um, so I used to pass out a lot. I didn't have control over so many things. Both my parents had very traumatic childhoods. My mother was a Holocaust survivor, so I couldn't go through the litany of the suffering and the difficulty that surrounded me, and that was my legacy in growing up. But I don't want to. I don't wanna, um, I don't wanna you know, be there for the next five, 10 minutes. What I wanna talk about is how, what happened in terms of restoration. Uh, I came into the program, as I said, in 87, I became abstinent from binging and under eating on March 1st, 1990, and I haven't gone back out. And part of the reason I haven't gone back, back out is that I am totally clear that if I had gone back out, that I would not be here today, Um, because when I, it was predicted when I was diagnosed that I would have, I would go blind, I could go blind, I could have kidney failure, I could lose limbs, yada, 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 you know, to be told those things at the age of 14 is pretty traumatic, Um, and I'm here to say that I'm kicking butt, well, not so much kicking butt, um, because my limbs are my spine is, you know, has arthritis and so forth and so on. But I'm alive, um, which is, which is, you know, pretty incredible. Uh, so restoration, restoration is the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. The process of repairing or renovating a building, work of art, vehicle, etc. Um, the reinstatement of a previous practice, right, custom, or situation. So steps one, two, three for me are restoration and realization that I can go back, I can become recovered, I can restore, be restored to sanity. That's the key, restored to sanity. But it doesn't mean that I have to necessarily go back to the original form. And you know part of it is the original form of us is, um, you know, in the doctor's opinion at the beginning of the big book, it talks about the psychic change that we have to go through. So when, I ta- when I'm going to be talking about revelation and, and uh, revolution, the, the idea is not that we um, go back to our sick selves, our ill selves, it's that we go back to the essence of who we are and the qualities we are as wonderful human beings. And this idea of this consciousness, you know, people may have issues with the word God, but what I, what I think about it is, is something outside of myself. So whether you consider it the meetings, whether you consider it your fellows, whether you consider it, I'm looking at a beautiful tree right outside my window, you know, whatever I can do to, to think about something as my restoration, <clears throat> that is the gift for me of being in the program rather than being in the problem. Ten minutes. Um, thank you. When we start using food self destructively, we stunt our emotional development. So part of the revelation is that it's been an amazing journey for me um, to unfold and evolve. And you know, there is there is a our biblical reference <coughs> references to revelation. So this is not <coughs> excuse me about referring to any. Any biblical or any religious doctrine. This is about the idea of a spiritual renewal of a, of a way of being in the world that does not have to do with self-destruction. Uh, so revelation, it's the act of revealing or communicating some divine aspect. It's an act of revealing to review or making it known. It's um, it's pleasant. Imagine that. It's pleasant, often enlightening, an often enlightening surprise. So for me, and especially in the last two years, I have to tell you, you know, I've been around these rooms and it's been a long time. It's 30 plus years. But in the last two years, the idea of working with breath and working with meditation in a much deeper way has been, it's going to lead to my talk about revolution, but it's been revelatory. It's been revelatory in terms of, I never imagined I could do this. You know, I was the person who said, I can't sit for more than three minutes, I go crazy. Because I have, as it says in the book, in Acceptance is the Answer, I have a magic magnifying mind. So I can take anything and I can twist it around and I can perseverate and I can be like, ah, rah, 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 you know, but, but, um, but revelation is to be able to sit with myself, in repose and let go. And it's pretty amazing how just breathing can let go. And I want to talk about breathing for a minute because, um, you know, in the studies and the work and the I've been working with teachers and, and doing this uh, regular practice. Uh, imagine that in general, most of us live with our breathing up here. So we are breathing in and out here. Sometimes we do it slowly, sometimes we do it fast. But by breathing up here, we are only using 10% of our capability of breath. So the practice that I've learned, and I'm not promoting any particular way of doing this, is that you have to breathe through your whole body. And we are not accustomed to that in general. We are accustomed to responding by breathing up here. And guess what? Here's the fight or flight area. In our bodies. So if we keep our breath up here, if I, I'll speak for myself, if I keep my breath up here, I'm not getting the full use of my lungs, of my diaphragm, of my clavicle, of my intercostal muscles. And the miracle for me is that I've learned how to breathe from my, the, 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 the abdomen, not the belly, from the abdomen. And that means I can carry air through here and breathe it up all the way through my head and then come down and exhale it. And it is such a relief. It is such a relief to be be able to breathe in that way. So revolution, you know, we use that word so much, you know, revelatory, revolution is so overused I think in some ways Um, and people use it lightly. I don't use it lightly. I mean, revolution can be a forcible overthrow of a government or a social order. And for me, the revolution in my life has been that this is a program of recovery. This is not about a casual relationship. This is about the essence of my life and what I take on and what I embrace on a daily basis. Um, It's an instance of revolving. So you know me, I love imagery. Um, And so here's my revolving imagery. Let's see if I can get it to you. You know, it's a series of cogs, right? And when you look at cogs, cogs go like this. They move back and forth. And if you move one cog, you move it, it moves other cogs. And so the idea is, you know, it's a revolution. Like a wheel going around or a cog going around is a revolution. So that's my revolution. That's what happens to me. It's an instance of revolving. Um, And so the revolution of my life is something that happens on a moment-to-moment breath. And it happens on a daily basis. And it happens in the rotation or the repetition of certain actions on a daily basis. So Five minutes left. Thanks. In a very practical way, that means that I have certain practices that I have to maintain, and I have to do them in order to be sane, and in order to have some equanimity, and in order to have some relative balance with my blood sugars, because I have, I can now see on my insulin pump where the blood sugar goes on a graph, and I have a range, or I have a high range and I have a low range. So my focus is to stay within that, that area. And that's what I, I do with my life um, is I try to keep equanimity and calm and balance in the midst of a lot of circumstances. And I need to say that you know, number one, growing old means that you have more aches and pains and more, Conditions to deal with, so I have to, I have to slow myself down, and I have the revolution has to happen in a, in a slower pace, and also that I need to um, do yoga and physical exercises on a daily basis, and finally, I want to talk about the being alone part of what's happened in our world, uh, and and what I'm experiencing now. Um, I call it melezing and, and languishing. Um, and that means that I don't always have the impetus to do everything that I expect myself to do or that I should do or whatever. And I've been especially feeling that in the last week or so, I was gonna try to go up to Katati and I'm not doing that because of, um, you know, conditions um, and my concerns about my health being compromised and, uh, and I'm, I realized that I can't be in that funk on a regular basis. And I have to keep doing my practices because I don't want to get stuck in the malaise and languishing. Um, I can't afford to sit there and self-pity uh, because I know that it is a road to being depressed and being um, less able to take care of myself. So in closing, I want to just talk about some antidotes. Um, Getting outside in the sun is good. I can't walk these days. I'm being told not to walk because of some arthritic issues. But I can be outside and sit in the sun or the sunshine or the light. The light is really important to me. Um, I do creative work. um, And so, you know, making jewelry is such a gift. Um, and I go to a class once a week to, to be with other people doing that. Um, twice a day, I do the breathing and the meditation practice. And the last thing is that I engage with a 20-month-old toddler. So if you think it ain't, ser- you know, it's all about practicing the program, part of it is letting go and surrendering, right? The first three steps. And when you're with a 20-month-old, 21-month-old toddler, Sometimes it's no. sometimes it's oh man, sometimes it's Rora, she calls me Rora. So it's just the delight of being with a little one who doesn't really care about all this stuff, who's just in the moment and just makes you, it cracks you up and makes you realize that it's not all that serious, that you can have a hell, hell of a lot of fun with this program and with recovery. So with that, I pass.